0: Welcome back to the program. We live in an information age. The goal of virtually every app on our phone and most websites is perfect information about the world, about our neighbors, about our friends, and about ourselves. So how is it that with all this information, the world is so much more dangerous, that secrets are sometimes so much deeper, that bad actors and even good ones turn bad, can often outsmart, outrun, and outmaneuver? The very agency designed to ferret out those secrets and keep us safe, the CIA. Certainly today, even as the very first tenants move into the new World Trade Center, we've come to appreciate the importance and value of human intelligence. But those that engage in it are often at risk from their enemies and their friends. Few understand this better than my guest, former CIA operative Valerie Plame. Her life and career derailed in public view, as much by friends as by enemies. Valerie Plame's career continues through the work and efforts of her fictional alter ego, Vanessa Pearson. Pearson made her debut in Blowback, and now she's back in Burned. It is my pleasure to welcome Valerie Plame back to this program. Valerie, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to have you back. In some ways, do you feel that the work that you did and the concerns that you had while you were working for the CIA, that in some ways you're continuing that through the stories of Vanessa Pearson?
1: Oh, definitely. Uh, My expertise in the CIA was in nuclear proliferation, uh, essentially making sure that bad guys, whether they're uh, rogue states or terrorists, do not get a nuclear capability. And it's something I care about deeply still. And it's very satisfying to me to be able to write fiction and still be able to focus on these issues.
0: And the idea of not being as close to it personally, watching it in some ways and seeing the changes that are taking place from afar. Talk a little bit about that process for you.
1: Well, certainly, I, I left the CIA in 2007 and we moved from Washington, D.C. to New Mexico, where we are now, and started to rebuild our lives. We had been through a fairly traumatic experience <laughs> with the, the betrayal of my CIA identity and had been through a lot. So, uh, allowing some time and to spa- space to work its magic, you get a little more perspective and stepping back and uh yeah it is kind of a (laughs) kind of a weird career uh for sure but I, I loved what I did. I derived a great sense of satisfaction from it, really proud to serve my country and then to be able to pull threads of that from from the experience into uh you know into the books has has been really meaningful.
0: And talk a little bit about how that world of nuclear proliferation is changing. In blowback, you wrote about Iran essentially being involved in getting a nuclear weapon. Now it's more rogue individuals, rogue actors that have the potential to do that. Talk about that.
1: Well, it's uh, certainly nuclear technology has proliferated. Uh, we have the, the rise of terrorism to a much greater extent uh, in the mid-1990s. So where those two meet is very dangerous. Uh, yeah, these rogue operators is what we hear a lot about, these lone wolves, uh, in the case of ISIS that are, you know, take matters into their own hands, very hard to find. And, uh, the, the results when you add a nuclear weapon or a dirty bomb, so-called dirty bomb into the mix can be catastrophic.
0: And as you've written about in Burned, characters that are, that become essentially brokers for nuclear material around the world today.
1: Yeah. Uh, the the villain, Boot, is based on a real-life Pakistani nuclear scientist, mm-hmm. A.Q. Khan, with whom I, I you know, was involved with operations against him for some years. Uh, really an amoral character, and he ended up uh, selling uh, nuclear widgets to anyone who had money, and that is really frightening. So uh, I, I drew inspiration from him to create Boot.
0: One of the things that's so interesting when one looks at the world today, and particularly the world of spycraft, is this idea that I talked about in the beginning: that, it, that on one level it's hard to believe anything could be kept a secret today, and yet on another level, secrets are deeper and darker than they have been in the past. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh what a conundrum. While we spend ever more billions and billions and billions of dollars on our intelligence apparatus, we do seem to know less and less. Uh, you know, just look at the uh the terrible, complex foreign policy problem sitting in Syria. I mean uh, and and to rooting out ISIS. Well, The answer is not just, well, arm the Syrian rebels. Well, which rebels? They're a fractious group. Who do we arm? Doesn't mean that just because they don't want, because they're against ISIS doesn't mean they're pro-West. Uh, that's right. Human intelligence, of course I'm biased, is, is so critical to our understanding. Uh, satellites and NSA, uh, Data collection, metadata is very important, but having those human sources on the ground uh, are really are vital pieces to understand the whole mosaic.
0: The other part of that is the management of those human resources, and the whole intelligence establishment today has gotten so large, so mammoth in scope, mm-hmm. that even with human intelligence, it becomes questionable how manageable it is.
1: I agree. Uh, Dana Priest, who uh-huh. is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, wrote a great book about this called *Top Secret America* a couple of years ago about the burgeoning national security state that came online after the 9/11 attacks and what I would call what I would call uh, really a, a, a overreaction to those attacks. Enormous, absolutely enormous. Uh, I was just in Washington D.C. I go a couple times a year for, on business for this or that, and I am never fail. I never fail to be just gobsmacked by the incredible growth in Washington D.C., which all really comes out of the defense contractors, all national security, homeland security, all that stuff. Uh, I, the economy is booming. Let me tell you, In little Washington D.C. It's quite the <laughs> little bubble, uh, and. Uh, the problem with all that great for the economy great for your home prices uh the problem is though that it's not uh i'm not convinced that it's terribly effective
0: where does it fall apart in growing so large what what is the danger in terms of information <laughs> given how large it's gotten
1: uh, i think it's because we're human
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: we can have these amazing enormous lightning fast Computers at nSA to help connect dots and and make links and so forth and, and and that's all important and wonderful technological technologically a marvel, but uh we are human, and I've heard many senior u s officials say that they simply can't get their arms around all the information that comes in uh, We are human after all, and we have to prioritize and formulate a strategy. There is simply i mean these officials are briefed every morning on the they get a terrorist matrix and they get all sorts of briefings and and it is so much incoming uh that it is very hard to prioritize and focus
0: the fear that is out there, the fear on the part of the American public and the way that fear is dealt with both positively and negatively by political leaders makes it almost impossible that that bureaucracy can be scaled down in any way.
1: Yeah, Indeed, bureaucracies are, you know, the self-licking ice cream cone. They, they exist to, to perpetuate themselves and self-aggrandizement. Uh, that is, unfortunately, you know, that, that is the nature of it. Uh, and furthermore, there is no uh, inherent constituency for intelligence, uh, as there are for other pressing issues. Uh, so it kind of keeps growing and growing and growing.
0: Will it take another failure in that whole system, something that gets by even the enormity of the system, before we're able to seriously take a look at what works and what doesn't?
1: Oh, I hope not. Uh, but in, in fact, in response to nine eleven, as I say, I I believe that we overreacted. It mm-hmm. was a knee-jerk reaction. We, we put in place yet another layer of bureaucracy, The director of national intelligence. Uh, um, I hope that's not the case, but reforming this enormous beast that is now I would call the military industrial intelligence complex.
0: Is the, the intelligence complex today, the CIA, let's just focus on the CIA, is it recognizable from the CIA that existed during the Cold War?
1: uh no it's changed in many ways one is that of course with the fighting the war in afghanistan the war in iraq and the the net rise now of truly radical islam it's much we're much more paramilitary than we had been previously um the the threats are mushrooming Uh, trying to get intelligence, uh, human assets, I should say, human intelligence assets into, uh, let's say, ISIS, to understand what they are doing, how rapidly they advanced, extremely difficult for U.S. intelligence.
0: Talk about your job in creating this character and evolving this character of Vanessa Pearson in this world. And the degree to which he has to occupy both as authentic a world as, as you try and create, given what's there today, but on the other hand, the world that you would like to see and the results that you would like to see as as an author and as somebody that, that is telling this story, the one you tell in Burned.
1: Yes. Uh, you know, try – what I'm trying to do in Burned is to show how intelligence is truly collected, how you develop an operation, leaving outside <laughs> all the boring parts uh, where you're <laughs> planning and waiting and sitting in your car and, and all of that, uh, trying to convey to people the importance of the nuclear threat, and, uh, and also entertain people at the same
0: time. Talk a little bit about the importance of the nuclear threat, because we tend to think of it only in terms of the Middle East, only in terms of of what's going on in Pakistan and, and ISIS and and Al Qaeda and everything else, but in fact, mm-hmm. this is a worldwide threat. We forget that sometimes.
1: Indeed, I mean the the news of the past months has just been so relentlessly grim. Right between mm-hmm. uh, ISIS beheadings, uh, what's happening in the Ukraine. Ebola uh, it, it can be overwhelming uh, but I uh, I hold that the nuclear threat in hands of terrorists or rogue states is is truly the most existential in nature. Uh, I think that we've really just gotten lucky so far uh, that the the number of times that we have missed near near uh nuclear explosions n- numbers in the dozens it's absolutely frightening, so I think we've <laughs> we've just gotten lucky.
0: Are there other nations around the world that that you see that w- that still want to join the nuclear club
1: yeah uh for sure uh, and they're working really hard. They see it as a nuclear big boys club uh everywhere of course we see they're already there, but they're continuing to to try to uh Poke their finger in the eye of the West is North Korea, Iran, of course. We are Uh doing, we are undergoing diplomatic talks right now in Vienna to try to curb those ambitions. Uh, And there's been talk throughout the Middle East of other uh, nations that uh, are looking to that. And yet, I mean, these really are weapons that belong in the 20th century, they belong in the dustbin of history. They do not make us safer. On the contrary, they leave us much more vulnerable in many
0: ways. How much does popular culture, movies, television, even novels today, to what extent does that shape our perception of this nuclear world that we live in? And and is that a good or a bad thing in some cases?
1: Mm. Oh, let's see. There was a movie some years ago. The Peacemakers I think with George Clooney and Nicole Kidman and while of course it had this Hollywood element uh, the plot I thought was pretty realistic it was about a loose nuke and a Serbian nationalist who got a hold of it and so forth and I, I, I thought that was pretty good um, movie, so many movies now are sort of you know they're based on uh, literally <laughs> cartoon figures and, <laughs> and uh, they uh, they they they're there to entertain not necessarily to talk about the threat in 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 realistic terms
0: how much talk do you think there is or do you think there's enough i guess is the question about the cia about intelligence today on the one hand the intelligence community likes to stay below the radar on the other hand we could maybe benefit from more conversation about all of this
1: Uh, Absolutely. Uh, I'd like to see more accountability. Uh, The the question still remains what happens with the so-called Senate torture report on uh, what the CIA did in the immediate aftermath of the 9-11 attacks. That'll be very interesting to see how that's going to be resolved. It resulted in quite a bit of acrimony that spilled over into the public sphere, which is pretty unusual between uh the head John Bren- the head of the CIA John Brennan and uh the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, Dianne Feinstein, who's its head. That was fascinating to watch that back and forth. I, I don't know how it's going to be resolved yet. Uh I would like to see a much more uh oversight, congressional oversight, uh in ways that really make sense. Of course You need to have secrets, and that's how, you know, it's all set up. But uh, in many ways, I believe our elected officials have abdicated their responsibilities for genuine oversight um, over the intelligence community writ large, including, of course, the NSA revelations that we know from Snowden.
0: Is that in part because the agency has gotten so large uh
1: yeah well not just the agency the whole intelligence apparatus, right. what are there seven, something like sixteen or seventeen intelligence agencies now I mean that's in the community it's outrageous
0: it's, it's almost impossible to have oversight over that much
1: indeed as I said we're human uh, how do you really uh, how do you really rein that in the Pentagon is always hopping up and down thinking about setting up its own intelligence service as well to rival the CIA. I mean, that is just sort of standard Washington <laughs> bureaucratic turf wars. Who has more money? Who has more manpower? Uh, and they lose sight of the fact of what are our priorities again? You know, How do we strategically go after these uh, national security concerns?
0: Talk about the role of our allies in all of this. You uh, incorporate the French government in the story of Vanessa Pearson and Byrne. What is the role of our relationship with our allies with respect to, to gathering intelligence today?
1: Critical, uh, as we call it, liaison, or liaison services, where we have mutually compatible targets. It, sometimes it's absolutely essential to work with uh, uh, another country, their intelligence service, to go after uh, these targets because they have the resources to do so and we may not. Uh, naturally, there's a high degree of suspicion <laughs> on both sides uh, and, and that plays out. But my, in my experience, um, for the most part, it is professional and these relationships, you work hard to make them work for it, uh, to make them... Uh, effective
0: for you. Do your books today have to go through a pre-publication review with the CIA still?
1: Indeed, they do. I signed a secrecy agreement uh, when I joined the CIA, and you promise not to reveal sources or methods or classified information, which I completely understand and respect and abide by. So yes, I submitted the manuscript for Burned, and uh, anything else that I'm writing.
0: Does that make it more or less difficult to do the work that you want to do in terms of these stories?
1: Oh, um, I don't think it makes it more difficult. Uh, Logistically, yes, it's kind of a drag, but that's that's the price. Uh, But uh, I can still tell my story without revealing classified information.
0: Talk a little bit about some of the other places that you can imagine taking Vanessa Pearson in stories to come.
1: Well, all the places in Burned and in Blowback, are all the places mentioned are places I have lived or worked or played, and uh, so I, lo- I like that. I mean, I, I feel comfortable describing them and comfortable moving Vanessa around in them, so it, I want to stick with that. Um, uh, Burned ends up in Istanbul, which is truly one of my favorite cities in the world, uh, so I might have to do that again, or... Or, you know, then I might have to do some on-the-ground research uh, in, in uh, forthcoming novels.
0: Pulling up all those old sources, huh?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or just, you know, wandering around. Whenever I got to a new city, I would uh, just spend hours walking around, because that is the best way to get to know a city.
0: Valerie Plame, her new Vanessa Pearson novel is burned. Valerie, always a pleasure. I thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.